All right. Welcome back to another week of Contextualize. How you doing, Pastor Jim? Excellent. Thank you, AJ. I'm here and we're doing it again. <laughs> we're at it again. We're still trying to figure out how to start this each week, but I guess you just hit play and go. So. Pretty much, yeah. We were talking anyway. You may as well record it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, hope that y'all were able to check in last week and here as we started out uh, in Acts. And, um, well, you know, you may have noticed that uh, we've decided on a name. So that was Pastor Jim's uh, idea, contextualize. Yeah. Well, more to come on that later. We'll, we'll come back to that. Hopefully it works. I think it's good. Um, so, but I, I was just going to say, as we start, um, you know, we just started uh, on Sunday mornings our series in 1 Corinthians uh, two weeks ago. And uh, one, one of the things we want to do today, uh, we're going to be looking at Acts 2, but I want to link what we see God doing in Acts 2 with what uh, Pastor Jim preached on yesterday uh, from 1 Corinthians 1. And, and just something I wrote down, uh, or one of the things you said yesterday, Jim, is you said unity comes from being in Christ. It's not something to be sought after, kind of at the exclusion or sacrifice of the gospel message. And then uh, a little bit later, you know, I was, uh, you were talking about uh, kind of the different camps uh, that Paul touches on there. And um, one of the things I wrote down just as I was trying to think, how do we, how do I apply this and how do I think through this uh, personally? As I said, is, is whatever this thing I'm thinking about or talking about, so it could be a theological concept, could be Reformed theology or Covenant theology or this book I'm reading or whatever, I said, is this thing an avenue to greater love and devotion to and knowledge of Jesus, or is it not? Am I using it in a way that it's, it's giving greater love, devotion, and knowledge of Jesus for myself and for others, or is it not? And I don't know, that was just, that, that was helpful for me. I don't know if, you, you've not heard me say that. No, so I haven't. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm encouraged to hear you say that. And, you know, you said, is what I'm reading, what I'm studying, an avenue to knowing Jesus as he's been revealed in the scriptures. That's kind of pre-Jesus not pointing me toward him, right? Or is it an application of what I have seen him mm. do, right? So it's an outflow. Mm -hmm. um, so what I'm studying now is showing me um, the fruit of a Christ-centered, cross-centered incarnation and, you know, uh, cruciform sort of focused Jesus-centered reality. And so I just threw every word I could possibly think That's of great. to describe Jesus e there. Except for yeah. amazing. You yeah, not, I will not amazing. use the word. I'm not even going to say it. You can say it. I said it like eight times in the first podcast. It was an amazing podcast. So it's great. <laughs> But, but it is something that I shared yesterday. Honestly, it wasn't in the notes, but I heard it as I was listening to the message this morning. Just that Paul seems really grieved when the church puts a preeminent importance on one of the applications of the faith and not mm. the cross. As the, and it makes it the essence of the faith. Yeah, And that's what I think he's so burdened for and... It's just an impossible thing if we rely on our flesh for us to keep what's central, central. But the Spirit of Christ points us back to Christ, and so we have a help in this. Mm. That's good. So like I said, I'm, we're, we're going to link some of that from yesterday with um, Acts 2 today. And, and what we're going to look at in Acts 2 today is, is Pentecost, and that's the first 13 verses of Acts 2. And so, um, Jim, could you just, you know, we, we touched on a little bit of Acts 1. We're going to skip part of that. And then getting into Acts 2, can you kind of give us the lay of the land? Where are we in, in the story uh, as we get into the story of Pentecost, or the event of Pentecost? Yeah, so 
ultimately you have the disciples have uh, been told by Jesus that it's better that he go away and that when he goes away, they need to wait for him to send the spirit uh, that would be advantageous to them um, and would live inside of them and would be the power by which they would continue the work of ministry that, that they'd seen him do. And so you have, you know, Judas is replaced among the apostles. That's in Acts chapter 1. You have them in this waiting pattern. And Acts 2 is when the Holy Spirit comes upon the church. And so the Spirit is poured out in such a way. Uh, Peter's going to explain kind of what happens. But it was so visible, it was so obvious that those who watched it happen, mm. you know, just picture looking in the room or whatnot. Yeah. Um, they were, it was a visual manifestation right. of the Holy Spirit coming upon them um, no less potent, no less visible uh, than those who saw Jesus rise from the dead. Mm. And that's what happens at Pentecost, ultimately. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's good. And uh, I just remember one of the things we talked about last week is that uh, Acts is really the, the continued story of what Jesus is doing. And so, um, you know, uh, I think later, later in chapter 2, even as Peter's preaching, he says it's, well, what, what they're seeing with the Spirit being poured out is it's Jesus pouring out the Spirit, Jesus giving uh, the Spirit. And so uh, I'm going to read just a couple verses here from Acts 2, 1 to 13, just to, to get us in that. Uh, but all the disciples are, are there, uh, and then it says, And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Uh, yeah, so just as you're talking, very visible, very audible, like lots of stuff happening as the Spirit's coming there. Uh, but then picking up in verse 5, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So just like what what, what is happening here? Well, go ahead, go ahead. by the way, don't ever ask somebody to read that text it's like, terrible. without them knowing. Right. You just killed that. You nailed well, it. The, you the, absolutely nailed it. The trick is reading it quickly. Right, but just... this is like in a small group when you're like, hey, so-and-so, would you read this right. text? And yep. like, they're never coming back. Oh, it's like, terrible. This is awful. Yep, yep. Okay, congratulations, AJ. Thank you. You nailed it. Um, what was your question? <laughs> I don't know. Um, like what, what happens here, yeah. and, and kind of to go with that, um, like in, in the moment that this is happening, so I'm not even thinking about us today. We'll get there. But like, why is this important? Then, like, what what's going on yeah. in the scope of history? I don't want to try to go where I haven't processed deeply to, but but I there's two parts of church history or like redemptive history that comes to mind right now. First of all, you can make the case that what we see is a reversal of Babel uh-huh. in this, in which at Babel, obviously. God confused the languages because man was so of himself and had so much pride and hubris that he was building the tower for his own glory and, and reveling in himself. And God said, it basically, I know what man is capable of. They've already rejected me in their hearts. Therefore, I'm going to scatter them and I'm going to confuse their language. And so in some ways you have a reversal of Babel now. You mm-hmm. have the ability to hear with one voice 
in different languages, but one message all yeah. at the same time yeah. from God's Holy Spirit. So it's like a reversal of Babel. But the other thing that stands out to me is when it says that it was visible like fire. Yeah. Um, think of the way that God led his people through the Exodus and through the wilderness. And you have uh, God's people being led pillar by a fire at night uh, and a cl- uh, wait, yeah, fire at night, cloud by day of just the Holy, the presence of God with his people. Mm. And so what's going on here? You actually have God's presence uh, just like a bucket of fire mm-hmm. ultimately mm-hmm. being dumped on top of his people. Yeah. And the message of who he is being the capacity for people from all tongues and tribes to hear and understand this. Um, and also I think the sense of fire and this, just the visible potency of it is... Mm-hmm. I almost said amazing, but I'm not going to... Uh, it's building on top of a narrative of redemption in which there's one God, and he's a God of revelation, and you can't know that God in your flesh on your own. And mm-hmm. so he's sending the power by which people can know him, and it's mm-hmm. actually Christ who sends the Spirit. We read that in Peter's words later, like you said. Yeah. But it's it's reversing all sorts of things, or it's affirming some things in historic, yeah. you know, redemp- the story of redemption. So. That's good. I, you know, I'm just thinking about um, the sermon again from yesterday. Um, Paul is talking about divisions in the church and how there ought not to be divisions because we're united in Christ. And uh, just as you were talking about Babel, uh, we could we could call the Babel scene a, a you know God divided the peoples there by language and, and whatnot. But here, there there's a, a unifying instead of a dividing. Um, and I think that's what I was thinking of yesterday, hearing your sermon and thinking about this podcast, just seeing how God is at work to unify His people. Even, uh, you know, verse 5 says, devout men from every nation under heaven. Uh, and then verse t- uh, 11, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And so, like, these Jews from everywhere, all over the, the world, known world at the time, are hearing the gospel proclaimed in their own tongue. Um, just such a unifying thing. And you haven't asked me this directly. Maybe you will. See, let me tell you, those who are on the other end of this audio here, last week AJ, like, told me the questions he's going to ask and kind of, Mr. Organization over here and I got lost in it and it was a blast and I looked down at my notes and I was like oh my gosh he's sticking to the script like this is amazing like I don't function that way and now today he didn't give me anything so I got no clue where we're going we'll see this might but, be better yeah. but let me let me just take it somewhere real quick uh, Great. what are the mighty works of God they're talking about mm. we don't have it described for us here but since we know it's the Holy Spirit and Jesus said in John 14, 15, 16, that area that the Spirit's going to convict you of sin as well as going to remind you of the things that I taught. At one level, I think it's right to say it's got to be the mighty works that Jesus accomplished. It's got to be the cross. Mm-hmm. It's got to be the resurrection. At, at one level, um, that is the mightiest mighty work of God. But even even further, um, in, in John's first epistle, 1 John chapter 4, uh, we're told that we're not to believe every spirit, but test the spirits. And this is how, because there's lots of false prophets, right? They come into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Hmm. And so, what were the mighty works that were being described? I, I, don't, I don't. I think it's interesting. We don't know exactly. Yeah. But it has to be that Jesus Christ came in the flesh as God. Yeah. And everything he did. In his incarnation, as he condescended down from his eternal glory, had to be what were the mighty works being described here? Every miracle, the suffering, the cross, the resurrection, 
And um, so I think that's that's important. And mm. I think it's also important in the next question that they ask all the perplexed onlookers. They said, what does this mean? Yeah. Oh, what, what does it mean that so visibly and so clearly we can understand what's being declared to us? And I think that to link to what was preached yesterday in 1 Corinthians 1, I think that's a, the appeal that I'm making or that the, the epistle's making, Paul's making. The world around the church, when the church is not divided, should have a question on their tongue, which is, what does this mean? What does it mean? That you remain so committed to this message about Jesus. You keep saying it's your power in a world that's changing. You keep saying that it's making you wise, yet it's so simple. What does this mean? Mm-hmm. That you won't bend from it? You won't, you won't shift from it at all? You don't apologize because of it? Mm-hmm. You're excited about it? You believe that the future is guaranteed because of it? What does this mean? And, uh, you know, that's a question. We talked last week that the joy of studying Acts is we don't know some, we, we need to discern what's normative and what was kind of this first experience. I think that question, that response, should be something we expect in our future. It should be a normative thing, yeah. That's, that's really good. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot of things in this text, and we could talk about this text for a long time, but um, one of the things we want to do is contextualize. And, and we're starting to get there, but Jim, you came up with the name contextualize. So, what, why why is this thing called contextualize? Well, for those who know me and know our church, the inspired, inerrant Word of God is our anchor, and we believe that the declaration of the gospel of Jesus, as it's been revealed to us in the Word, is the ministry of the church. And so like in Luke 24, when Jesus came and he was walking on the road to Emmaus and those who didn't realize all that it meant were grieving and they were upset because Jesus of Nazareth had died. You know, he opened up the scriptures to them and he showed them from the law, from the prophets, from the wisdom literature, all that was about him. So we know that Jesus is the gravitational, what his cross and resurrection is the gravitational center of the Bible. So if you read the text of scripture, in its context, which is the whole of Scripture, you will end up focusing on the cross and resurrection of Jesus mm-hmm. from every single text yeah. because that's the center of it. And the, the goal of teaching, preaching, studying God's Word is to, to show from every context of Scripture how, in some ways, it's, it's, it is the context for the central message of the cross. But then we don't leave it there, right? So, so in order for me to understand the text of Scripture for my life, I have to understand if Paul is writing to Corinth, What's the context going on in Corinth? How did the words that Paul writes to Corinth have to come to bear in their life? How does it show us Christ? Now what's my context and how do we apply it here? So we just thought maybe we mm-hmm. should call, because I want our talks, we want our talks to be from the Bible. We don't have any wisdom to offer the world. Right. So we will point to a text of Scripture and discuss it, but we really need to understand it in its context yeah. before yeah. we try to apply it to our context. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. I and mean, the, the power is in the text. The text was given, uh, written by the Spirit through through um, his men, the, the people he chose to write scripture. And so we're really just leaning into the Spirit uh, to, to speak continually through that. And so uh, just in the, the last couple minutes here, as we think about what we see in Acts 2, uh, we, we've talked a little bit about what happens here, what's going on in the text, what's going on in history, what is God doing? How does this impact our you know how, how does this apply what what does it look like for our for the church to 
I don't know, to be affected by what we're reading here. Yeah, I think one of the things is to to ask ourselves, do I believe that the Holy Spirit, the person of the Spirit, has been sent by God, by Christ, to the church, and that the Holy Spirit is effective and can be effective, even today as it was in Acts chapter 2. And so I think that's a critical mm-hmm. reality mm-hmm. to discern right now, is do we believe, as a church, that we don't have anything in and of ourselves? I can't be eloquent enough. AJ, you can't be eloquent enough. I can try to study arguments and apologetics, etc. But when it comes down to it, the convincing of people about the central message of the Scripture is the role of the Holy Spirit. And so therefore, I'm fearless, I'm unafraid, um, and it is enough Mm. to present the Word of God to God's people as well as present the Word of God to someone who says, I I don't understand suffering in the world. I don't understand uh, the political climate right now. I don't understand what the goal is. What's every, everybody's got divergent goals. I don't understand so many things. It's enough to say, hey, the Holy Spirit has revealed the, the central message of the cross and resurrection of Jesus and how history is, been, is guaranteed because of that event. Mm. And we're going to try to understand what the scriptures teach about who Jesus is. And that has everything to do with turning people's heart toward truth, toward redemption, toward holiness now. Um, and so I think for me That's at me. least... To contextualize it now is just to say, do I believe that the Spirit is as effective as I see the Spirit to be in Acts chapter 2? It's beautiful. And I, man, I'm excited um, because I know as we continue in Acts, but also getting into the, the next couple of weeks in 1 Corinthians, we're, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit a lot. Yeah. A whole lot. And I'm excited for that. I referenced that yesterday, uh, but uh, we are in chapter 1 right now, and Paul starts out his letter talking about that there should be no divisions in the church, and that's a difficult, difficult reality to deal with. In chapter 3, he's going to go right back to the same divisions. Mm -hmm. He's not done talking about it. But in chapter 2, right, you know, sandwiched in the middle is, is this glorious chapter about the wisdom of God, the Spirit of God, and ultimately saying that natural man can't conceive of the things that are required right. uh, of man. Only those who receive the Spirit are going to be able to discern spiritual things. And so even what we're looking at now to say, let's be a church with, with all unity and no divisions, that is not possible mm-hmm. without the Spirit at yeah. work to give us a power and a wisdom that we don't have in our flesh yeah. on our own. Absolutely. Uh, my, my last thought is um, th- this made me think of the Apostles' Creed that we'll, we'll sometimes say uh, or confess together, Christ community. And uh, in there, we first say, I believe in the Father, kind of talk about Him. I believe in Jesus, talk about Him. And find the third section is, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And it goes on to say, in the Holy Catholic Church, in the communion of saints. And, um, and I've had several conversations. I remember even the first time I heard Holy Catholic Church. I was like, what? what is, I didn't think we were, you know, I thought we were at a Presbyterian church. What's going on there? Um, but it's a lowercase c, and it, it just the word Catholic just means universal. Uh, so I believe in the universal church. There's only one church, uh, and it's the church that Jesus um, has called and died for, and the, the Spirit is, is forming. Uh, and in the communion of saints, that we have fellowship uh, with all believers. And that, for me, I think is very helpful to think on that. That That is, um, I have brothers and sisters in Christ across the span of time, uh, across the span of borders, uh, across the span of different, um, we think differently than each other at times. Uh, we have differences we have to work out. Like there's all sorts of differences, but we are one in Christ. And that's uh, a lot of what you talked on yesterday. And so this is, it's helpful for me to see 
that the work of, of Christ and then the work of the Spirit is foundational to that unity that we have as believers. Unbelievably so. Uh, tra- traveling even last last fall, uh, I think it was in the fall, but when a group of us went to uh, Costa Rica, how amazing, how glorious, I said amazing, how Man, glorious I, I, how glorious it is to meet believers who hold central the message of Christ and his cross and resurrection as their only hope. I don't know them. I don't know their story. They don't know my life, my family, our church, our story. But this unity in Jesus. And I've seen the same thing in India or just a deep affection. Hmm. That uh, And that's exactly what Paul says at the beginning of his letter to the Corinthian church. He says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. So we're together with all those in every place across all time yeah. and call in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I'm hoping that that will be felt and seen inside of our body, yeah. but it would be a, a much bigger vision than just let's think about our church and let's be united. Yeah. We're talking global, yeah. transcultural unity in Jesus. Yeah. That's, it's amazing. And that's what you see at Pentecost. Yeah. And, and to come back to what you said, it's only something that God's Spirit can do. That's only a, a power or a, a unifying work that, that God has the power for. So. Which is why Paul the Apostle grieves so much that a church would be divided. Hmm. You know, it, it should be it should make us sick to our stomach if if the differences in theology or the differences in some application. Now, I have I have strong opinions about worship style or about evangelism style. Of course, I you know we should, right. and I, that means I don't really find myself comfortable around lots of people sometimes, but. Yeah. If it rises to a level of just angst or frustration mm. such that I can't experience the unity with that person, I should grieve the way the Apostle Paul grieves in, yeah. in 1 Corinthians. Yeah. We, we all should yeah. because of what we see at Pentecost and because of the way the rest of the scriptures teach about we have one Lord, one faith, one mm. baptism, yeah. Yeah. one spirit. Yeah, one spirit. Man, that's good. Well, we've told you 15 to 20 minutes, but you know. We just get talking. Are we now? We're 22. So, ah, end you know. this thing. <laughs> All right. We will see, or I guess we won't. We'll talk to you next week.